Welcome in, boys, girls, people of all ages. We are glad you are with us, Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast. And as that intro was rolling in, bets, I was playing air guitar. I've got the long hair these days, so I'm feeling pretty fresh. <laughs> Dude, you looked really cool doing that, man. Like, kind of brought me back to like middle school days of like um, either playing rock band or guitar here. Like, you looked like you would just crush it at that game based off the hair and the uh, the air guitar skills. So, hopefully, that's the case. So I hope I don't get destroyed for this on Twitter, but I've actually never played those two games in my entire life. What? I know. How, okay, everyone listening, you cannot take Kyle's advice at all as anything helpful with no credibility. You've never played Rock Band or Guitar Hero. I was playing oh my gosh. NCAA football in Madden 2003 until my PS2 broke. That's what I was doing. Okay. Those are great games. I can't argue with that, but come on, man. You got to get a little Rock Band in your life. My brother was all about it, but I just, it, it didn't interest me very much. I had short hair back then, but maybe I can get into it now in my thirties with this, uh, this flowing <laughs> hair coming back from the beach. Hey, honey, you know, I can't go out tonight. I'm playing rock band with bets. <laughs> we'll be on live <laughs> with some, with some friends. I'm just, I'm, I'm hanging out with a friend. It's a zoom thing. You know, that's what everyone does these days. It could be, yeah, exactly. It could be, be fun. We're glad you're with us. This is DFS for the rest of us. This is July 2nd, so we're entering almost into uh, season mode bets where it's going to be DFS that we talk about. We talk about DraftKings, FanDuel, um, really exciting for us. Like That's what we're gearing up for, but we've kind of finished up some of our best ball content. We're going to touch on it a little bit here, but we're going to zoom out this week. We're going to talk about forecasting, which is a topic we're really passionate about. I love taking kind of the zoomed out approach and figuring out how that changes how we think about teams and projections and players and player evaluation, which I know you're super passionate about. So this is a fun episode. I feel like a lot of the stuff they're talking about in here, you can apply to DFS, you can apply to best ball, you can apply to redraft. So um, it's going to be super, super uh, exciting for us to kind of unpack some things that we've learned and some mistakes that we've made. So the quick question though, I want to finish up some of our best ball. So we finished up uh summer of bets ball and you and I have drafted a couple of teams recently. We're going to take a little bit of a best ball break. If you still want to play with us, feel free to message us. I know bets that almost every day I see you post something about it. Like today, you did, I can't, I can't you're on the you're elliptical. You're, you're on the elliptical, right? Dude, someone had to help me get through that cardio session. Come on. And luckily, our my good friends and followers uh, helped me out. They made it. Hey, they made a couple of mistakes, man, that I wrote an article about. Don't make these mistakes and they're doing it. So uh, I'll take people that want to come play against me and are drafting five quarterbacks in best ball. Do not do that. Do you feel like you draft better on the elliptical? I know it's a small sample size, but do you think that that actually improved uh, your win rate? Well, there was actually one. I can't remember who the player was, but I was like, you know, moving on the arms and like I missed it and like kind of like accidentally hit the draft button. I can't remember what player it was. It was probably so early based off ADP. Uh, but we'll have to see, you know, at the end of the year, we'll do a little end of the year research study and look back on elliptical win rates versus not. And we'll look for uh, that you know, article on the website. So I'm really interested to break that down at the end of the season. 
So Betts and I want to talk about some of our favorite best ball teams that we've drafted so far in this quick question. And I need to give you some props, Betts. I've always been somebody that enjoys the slow draft just based on, you know, this season of life and kids like, okay, I can do the eight hour, you know, time clock on underdog. But you were like, hey, man, if you do 30 seconds, it causes a lot of casual people to reach and make a lot of mistakes. And so my two favorite teams that I've drafted have been in these fast drafts for the best ball mania. So I posted both of them recently. I don't know if that was just me taking a victory lap, but I liked these teams And one of the teams I entitled the uh, LSU bros because I somehow, I did not try to do this. I ended up with a stack where I had uh, Justin Jefferson, I have Jamar Chase, I have Terrace Marshall, and I have Joe Burrow. So that 2019 LSU team, I have the whole squad there. Um, But I think it's a pretty good team. I have Christian McCaffrey. I don't know if you heard of him. Um, I have George Kittle. And then I was also able to stack Dak uh, with Michael Gallup, Tony Pollard, and Blake Jarwin. So it's a team I really, really like. It's the latest I've seen Dak. Dak went at pick 73, and I was shocked that he was still staying. Like, I haven't seen Dak go anywhere near the front side of draft slots. He's usually like towards the end because that's where Cooper and Lamb are going. So this is a fun team. I posted if you want to go on Twitter and look that out. But LSU bros, yeah, one of my favorite teams right now. I love that, man. That's a unique stack that no one's doing. Uh, unfortunately, there will be not much correlation there, but it's still fun <laughs> to do. You you know it correlates, obviously. Like That's all that matters is that you know it stacks. Oh, right? I'm, as I'm, long as you complete the, the best ball draft with a stack, you're happy and you can sleep at night. This is a um, college football 2019 best ball tournament, right? <laughs> of course, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, man. I like, um, I like that team a lot, actually. I was looking at it the other day. For me, there's a couple of, I guess, take-homes from the drafts that I've done. The early drafts, I just want to encourage people next year, do not be afraid of the unknown. It is an amazing time to get ahead of the market on ADP for players that you could see having an expanded role either before, well, the role that could be improved that people think is going to get worse. For example, Mike Davis before the NFL draft or looking at after the NFL draft, players that are expected to rise in ADP as the summer goes on, which if you've heard the podcast before, uh, you know that I've been taking Trey Lance a ton, but I think that has to stop because <laughs> I got him on a ton of teams. <laughs> That's to stop for my exposure. It also has to stop because these teams that are taking Trey Lance in the ninth and tenth round are now, you know, getting him in positions where it's less advantageous based off ADP and opportunity cost, where I was getting him two months ago in the 14th round. So I love all my teams that kind of have him as like that little cheat code in the 14th round where if he's nothing this year, like my team could still be awesome because of the fact that the opportunity cost is so low. But as a specific team that I love, you know, it's a Lamar Jackson stack. I mean, come on. Uh, It's a Lamar Ryan Fitzpatrick stacked team. Lamar is stacked with the rookie Rashad Bateman. And I've got Ryan Fitzpatrick with Antonio Gibson and Curtis Samuel. And then, man, just the hyper-fragile build lets you get so many stud-wide receivers. I went Derrick Henry, Gibson, and then Trey Sermon. Just those three. So I'm kind of taking the, you know, you're not first, you're last approach. And it's a lot of fun to kind of see like, man, these wide receivers are, are a lot of fun and they're they're really good. So hopefully that works out. We'll see. But you kind of have to embrace that risk uh, when you go with that type of build. You have definitely got me on this Lamar train. Uh, some of my favorite teams recently, I've had Lamar uh, and stacking him with some cheaper options like I have a team where it's him, Gus Edwards, and uh, Sammy Watkins and and Hollywood Brown. So a little bit cheaper options than maybe 
you'd want. But I, I feel like Lamar is turning into one of those players that I want to take if I go elite quarterback. I'm glad you mentioned Lance because you and I have talked about him a lot recently. I just put out an article looking at ADP risers and fallers. So you and I updated our best ball primer and Lance is one of those players that's going to end up going near pick 100 soon. And that's kind of like, all right, I I'm, I'm out. I can't do it anymore. And you're right on. So I listed a bunch of players that were rising that were falling. And then I also listed a couple players that I think will rise in the next two weeks one of those players is Damian Harris. We just got news that came out about him being the quote decisive lead back, which take that for what you want it to be. But I, I looked at all of these ADP risers bets. All of them are from news. Like, you know, you'd expect certain players like Tannehill to go up because of Julio, but all of these are mostly this piece of news came out. Like Pete Carroll said, Hey, Gerald Everett's going to have a big year and Gerald Everett goes up two rounds. So that's just something to, to notice that, Based on news, that's how drafters are being affected. And I don't know if this is the right way to do it, Bets, but like, just because someone is falling doesn't mean they're now a bad pick. Or just because someone's rising doesn't mean they're a good pick because now they're you know not affordable anymore. So is that kind of like what people need to understand? Yeah, I think it's an art, right? Like the ability to kind of weed through this a massive amount of, I'm not even going to call it information. Really, it's just like, little blurbs and headlines that could be information that could be actionable, but could also just be noise. So, you know, people that are just buying into these like little headlines in June or July as fact could be like overreaching on players. And then same thing, if guys fall because of it could be a huge value. So I'm sort of sticking to what the teams are doing transaction wise. that tells us the story that we need to follow outside of like really consistent over and over and over again. You know, uh, I think Matt Harmon called it follow the drumbeat. Basically, once you get to training camp, if you're hearing a lot of people say the same stuff, then like, okay, maybe it's actionable advice. But if it's just one headline here or there, I'm not changing my rankings at all. I'm not changing how I'm drafting at all. I'm basically still kind of taking what I feel is the correct pick at the correct ADP and not reaching just because of a news blurb from two hours ago while I'm on the clock. Yeah, I would say the only news that matters most to me is really negative news. So yep. Like Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims, one of those players that just plummeted like 40 picks. I mean, that's that's a a lot for best ball. And it was basically like, he doesn't know the playbook. This is a different offense. He's not going to be a yak guy. Like those are the kind of things that you kind of perk up and go like, all right, well that I need to act on that information, but puff pieces, that's what we're going to keep hearing for the next month. So learn to train your ear and uh, just talk to us on Twitter and we'll tell you what's up. Um, if you want to Follow us. Bets is at the fantasy PT. I'm at Kyle underscore Borg. We would love it if you would go on iTunes and follow us and give us a review. We'll give out another one of those three man best balls. We did that with our boy Daryl, and that was super fun. Bets that one night that the three of us got to get together, great. do three man best Shout ball out to Daryl for sure. And three man's different, it's like a whole different animal of how to approach three man best ball. So I know you were, um, badgering me about my Kyle Pitts pick, but I got, I got Kelsey and Pitts holding it down <laughs> at tight end. So you better recognize. <laughs> I basically just like to troll you with anything that you do and just make you think twice. Like crap, that is a mistake. <laughs> I totally did <laughs> that just in your head, man. I'm just in your head. <laughs> Dang it. You well, I have Kelsey, so I feel okay. But um, anyway, that was super fun. So if you leave a review, we will pick one of you to come and hang out with us on the internet. So, and I mean, that's 2021, right? To 
to join our band to play rock band. That's what this contest is. <laughs> you can hang out with Bets and play rock band over Zoom. Uh, you can totally do that. And you can also go online, get the Ultimate Draft Kit, plus the uh, Draft Analyzer literally just came out. And guys, I'm not trying to blow smoke up people's butts, but I will say this. That analyzer is pretty awesome. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it is, I'm a company man. And so are you, Bets. Yeah. But it oh, is yeah. so intuitive. Yeah. If you haven't gotten the draft analyzer, I mean, you can customize it. It's just, they've gone above and beyond. They're not just giving you a grade. They're going through every single player. They're giving you strengths and weaknesses. They're also giving you actionable information. And Bets, I don't know if you saw, like if you have a certain player, they get your injury blurbs as well. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's worth the price of admission. I did see that. So. I did see that. I got about, uh, let's see, zero work done today because I literally was uploading all my teams onto the draft analyzer. It's it's honestly unreal. It's probably one of the best that I've honestly seen in the industry. Uh, clearly zero bias at all, but it is really just amazing. Like The guys put in a ton of work, so it's great. Check it out. Yeah, and people were asking me earlier, like, uh, I don't know if I want the Dynasty Pass, but I want the analyzer. Uh, maybe I just want to play DFS. Like, you don't have to pick. You literally get all of those. And I think that's incredible. You also get the Ballers book, which most people don't know about, but it's a uh, 55 tips and tricks. I helped edit that content last year. Uh, Super fun. So you get a lot of free perks and it's a one-time only thing. So you can go online, ultimatedraftkit.com. Right now it's 60 bucks. It's going to go up as it gets closer to the season, but uh, we would love to uh, hang out with you for DFS. So we're excited for that. But Bets, let's talk about some forecasting. If these trends continue, hey! <laughs> what the heck is that drop? I had to dig deep. I feel like every week, every week I get a new one that I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> so if you've only been around fantasy footballers world for a little bit, um, you know the famous drops, the mailbag drop, which I actually will use a special one in a little bit. Um, and y- you know some of the big drops, but uh, I like to go back in our archives and find ones that we used once, like in 2017. And so apparently we did a segment, I'll have to look back through our shows about trends. And I thought that was a fitting drop for what we are talking about today, which is forecasting forecasting so bets before i go into what it is and what it isn't why why are we taking the time to talk about this subject to kind of zoom out right before our nation's holiday (laughs) no correlation there i forgot actually happy birthday america um yes this is a a really important concept i think to be a successful long-term season-long best ball and especially dfs player because what we're talking about with trying to forecast and like predict things happening in football is not easy. And there is inherent risk and error to a lot of the projections that you'll see, a lot of the player takes that you have, and that sort of thing. So I think having an understanding of kind of what does this mean in like a bigger picture as far as range of outcomes will help you be able to um, make, you know, decisions in either lineup setting or DFS or in best ball that if you get so locked into like micro level strategy of like, I need to take player A over player B, we're going to be wrong sometimes. So I think being willing to admit that, know that that's the case, and then kind of find ways to gain an edge on other people that get locked into a certain strategy or a player take 
can really help you be successful in in fantasy football. So we're trying to give you guys the tools to understand how to do that effectively in all sorts of formats. Forecasting is basically the name of the game in fantasy football. We are looking in the future into September and saying, here's what I think is going to happen. And right now we have a little bit of the information. We have last year's information. We don't have perfect information. And I think a lot of the times it's kind of like if you're standing on top of a mountain bets and I'm on the other side and you want to come hang out with me because I'm a mountaineer and you want to, it may look like based on where I'm standing that I'm closer, but there's a whole mountain range in between us. And there's a, there's a huge row. There's so many different peaks. There's so many different conversations you get to have to get from just point A to point B. And it looks very simple. Like, Oh, look, September, I'm going to get there and they're going to have week one. And here's what we're going to do. But there's so much information that either you have to sift through or you have to figure out like, what am I bringing into this? What am I bringing in this conversation? So I really quickly want to just say what forecasting isn't and what it is. So just kind of compare And then Betts and I are going to go over some general thoughts and give you some examples in fantasy that we've kind of sifted through over the last couple of years. And this might sound more philosophical and a little different than just player takes, but you need this conversation in order to project well. Like you can't just say, I like Keenan Allen. I've always liked Keenan Allen, which I do, and you do too. And just say, he's going to get 130 targets no matter what, because that's kind of his median projection. But there's a range of outcomes for Keenan Allen. And there's so much more that goes to that team than just he's going to get this many targets. You know, he's going to be a wide receiver one, low and two. There's more to that. So really quickly, what forecasting isn't and what it is. So what it isn't, it's not about finding one projection. It's about finding a range of outcomes for players. All right. So it's it's not just saying Keenan Allen's going to get 130 targets. It's saying Keenan Allen seems like that's the most likely outcome, but what if Keenan Allen actually slips this year and they spread the ball around a little bit more? Or what if he's hyper-targeted and he gets 150 targets? So there's a range of outcomes for each player. You also need to know that this isn't about assuming what scenario you think is going to happen. It's exploring all the scenarios for a player. Forecasting isn't so much about knowing the future because none of us have that information in front of us or else Betts and I would have won the Millie Maker and quit this podcast. Spoiler alert, we did not. Dang it. All right, but this year, all right, it's not about knowing the future. It's about removing the blinders that we have, which just sounds so deep and philosophical, but it's- Gosh, does it ever, gosh, it really does. People, just take off those blinders, <laughs> all right? Um, it's about removing the blinders of- what we don't know. And there's a lot of information that you and I don't know and don't fully understand. We are on the outside. We're not seeing these teams and their playbooks and we're not seeing, you know, how they're adjusting. So there's so much that we don't know. Um, Forecasting isn't about being convinced you have it right. It's knowing that, hey, you could be right, but also being open to the fact that you could be wrong. And the last thing is forecasting is not about pretending that you know, it's admitting what you don't know. So with the Chargers, I do not know exactly how this offense is going to function. Why? They have a new offensive coordinator. Like, they have a full year with Austin Eckler. They have uh, Jared Cook in the mix. They have Josh Palmer. You know, they have Justin Herbert in year two with teams that have tape on him. Like, they have a new offensive line. There's just so many variables. They have a new head coach. Like, 
there's so much that we could say with those teams. So admitting that on the front end is super helpful. And um, I just think it matters. So any of those bets that you find important of what I just mentioned of what it is and what it isn't that you want to make sure we hammer home. I mean, I think they're all pretty equally important. I think the last two really make a lot of sense when you think about like the range of outcomes thing, right? Like you could convince yourself that this take that you have about a certain team or player is 100% right. And you could draft accordingly in every single best ball draft that you do. And if that hits like great, but in the long run, is that going to happen all the time? No, it's not. And so I think being willing to know that they are preconceived notions, we all have preconceived biases against certain players or teams or things like that. And knowing that you could be wrong is is super important. And then just admitting like that you have that bias or that you don't know actually is really helpful because, man, I'm just thinking about like one player in specific, like two years ago, I was just so locked into Terry McLaurin, so locked in, like did not look at a range of outcomes. I was like, he's on the rise. He's awesome. He's super fun to root for. He's a big play guy. He's going to have a ton of upside. But like, I was not really factoring in like, who the heck is the quarterback? And like <laughs> Dwayne Haskins was still a quarterback. Like what a terrible take in retrospect, right? Like I had no range of outcomes. I was just so zoomed in. So I think being willing to identify those weaknesses in your ability to predict what's going to happen in football, um, I think is just massive. I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but people are usually open to the fact, myself included, that I was almost right about a player. Like in DFS, it's like, the worst. We all have that sickness where it's like, oh, if I just would have had this right player, then I could have done this. And then I would have made it in the top 10. Like we're so open to the fact that we could almost be right. Very few people are open to the fact that if they get something right, you could have almost been wrong. Like it's very, very, very close to that. So I'm actually going to turn this into an article and some of the discussion bets and I have, we'll make sure that you guys get to see this uh, visually as well. But those are just some overarching thoughts. But Bets, let's go through three quick ones, and then you and I are going to actually work through a team. So we're going to talk about forecasting and projecting a specific team and how we do it and how we kind of combine forces to do that. So first little general thought point, Bets, is it's really important with forecasting to figure out what is noise, and the best way to find out what noise is is Twitter, um, which is a good and a bad thing, and when we're talking about projections and we're talking about forecasting, there are there are so many numbers that get thrown around and we both love them, but a lot of that is noise. And so how do you decipher bets? Like what's noise? And is there any statistics that like you found like, hey, this, people are throwing this around. This is actually not helping with our forecasting. Yeah, I think the biggest one for me that I used to really lock into in talking about like reflecting on the season prior and then looking ahead is all right, where did this guy finish? Like, was he the running back 13 on the season, you know, end of the year? Great. I could totally see a scenario where he comes in and he's the running back 10 or better, you know, next year. And we fail to recognize that total fantasy points on a season long basis is not that helpful because it tells us one thing, well, maybe a couple of things, but the primary thing is like who stayed healthy and who played a lot with the opportunity that they got, not looking at last year, for example. Ezekiel Elliott on a season-long basis was not great. Like when you look at the numbers, wasn't good. But when you look at what the offense actually is with Dak Prescott in that sample size, he's a completely different conversation, right? Than kind of where people are projecting him. So you'll see this all the time on social media, on Twitter, like people talking about his ADP is egregious. He finishes the wide receiver 12 last year and he's going as wide receiver 19. 
you know, ask yourself, why is that? Are people actually seeing upside in this player anymore? Maybe not. That's why his ADP is a little bit lower. Has the quarterback changed? Has the coaching staff changed? Like we can't just take what happened the year prior and expect it to happen again. And I feel like I see that total fantasy points year long finish on Twitter all the time. And for me, that's a lot of noise. Yeah. And even when I've seen it where people look at it, they look at the fantasy points and then they go, ooh, but we know like Tyler Lockett last year. Like, okay, the reaction now is, okay, Tyler Lockett finished here, but we know that he was really inconsistent. So we must dock him a ton. And it's like almost an overcorrection now where like nobody wants Tyler Lockett. You and I are, I know you're a huge fan, but I've, he's become one of my favorite players to go for because one, this is a different, like there's a new offensive coordinator. And I actually think that Lockett's actually going to be more consistent this year, even though he finished at what wide receiver nine. Like, I think he's in a position now where you can draft him where you need to in best ball right now. He's going around that four, five turn, like pick, I don't think he's at 46, 47 now. And I love starting off my team and getting Tyler Lockett as my wide receiver too. I mean, that's, that's gold in best ball. And I, we love the offense. We love Seattle. And I actually think he could be more consistent this year. So it goes both ways. Like you said, like you can either say like, Hey, we should still like this player or people overcorrect and they don't want it. So we don't want to do either of those things, but you're right. Like it's just noise. Yeah. It's, it's not super helpful, but um it, you'll see it a lot and i think there really needs to be a shift in terms of us talking about these players in a fantasy points per game conversation and then as well being willing to look at different segments of the season and being like okay you know this player was healthy in this mark but you know the guy that he competes with for targets all the time was gone so we saw him succeed so we can't take his season long average because that player wasn't on the field. And by the way, here comes Odell Beckham back into the lineup, right? So like things change so much that you just have to be willing to kind of look at the entire picture, the entire conversation to tell the whole story. So I think Tyler Lockett is a perfect example of why there's an overcorrection in the market. Love me some Tyler Lockett. I'll give you two quick stats that I think are noise when I hear them out there. But hear us out. We're not saying that there's no point, like total fantasy points matter. It's just not necessarily always prescriptive of the next year. It's just not, Betts isn't saying like, oh, well, because there's this, don't worry about it. Like, it's just not saying because he finished here, he will finish there. Like, that's just a very dogmatic kind of statement. And one that I see a lot is about catch rate. Catch rate is just not a sticky stat year to year. And it just doesn't give much context. Like, let's say Tyreek Hill, you know, catches 61% of his passes, but Jarvis Landry catches 76. Okay, well, those are very different targets between those two players. Who would you rather have? Like, well, obviously Tyreek Hill, because it, it matters what type of targets they are, matters the volume, and it's just not sticky year to year. So like one guy I see is uh, your boy, uh, Bob Tunyon. I know you're big. B- oh, big Bob. Bobby T. Bobby T. Bobby T caught like 52 or 53 of his 59 targets. Like it was just a ridiculous catch rate. Same thing with Austin Hooper the year before, like really high catch rate because he for our Falcons was like catching a bunch of dump off passes. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't translate year to year. And also that's just not many targets. 59 targets is not a huge sample size. So don't use catch rate as a sticky stat. And to say, because he did this last year, um, you look at Amari Cooper, go look at his, his years. It's like he's yo-yoed every single year and he's kind of done the same thing per game. Um, and then one more, I like the statistic. 
and it's cool for certain players, but it's it's very skewed, uh, and it's yards after contact. So Derrick Henry is good at this, and it's telling for him because like Derrick Henry just gets hit, and then he throws people aside. Nick Chubb is this way too, um, but think about this: Nick Chubb, who I, who we both love, Nick Chubb can shed a tackle and then take it sixty yards to the house, and so his yards after contact might be sixty on the play. And then the next play, he gets, you know, tackled for a loss or gets a two yard. Like it's just very skewed. It's just like yards per carry. And so I just don't want us to use yards after contact to project. It just tells us more what kind of player they are. Like they had a couple of big runs or they can have big runs. I just don't like to use it to project. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And the other thing is like, what even is contact? Like, how is that graded? It's so subjective. Did that player brush up against his shoelace and now he's gone for a 60-yard run? Does that count as contact? Does it have to be like a hard hit to the shoulder to count as contact? Like it's so subjective. So I think I'm with you in that. I don't really look at it a lot. I think you can maybe look at maybe, you know, more of a like per attempt basis, like yards after contact per attempt kind of tells you a little bit of a better story, but I'm with you in general. Like I don't use it a ton at all. Yeah, because let's say someone goes untouched, like Raheem Mostert's one of those players that like he has that juice when he gets to the second level. Like he's fun to watch, but he also had some massive holes where it's just like nobody touched that guy. So of course he got 80 yards after contact on that one. So uh, it's just something to keep in mind. And I always tell people just take a moment and think about the stat. Like don't just take someone else's word for it. Just think about the stat, think about the context and just think, okay, is this helpful in forecasting? All right. Um, Another one is in forecasting, we're usually quick to make up our minds because we want a quick answer and we're usually too slow to change them. Like that's just, you have a player and you have a bias and you don't like a player. So Betts, can you give me an example of a player that you had to change on? Either you were too quick or you were too slow. Yeah, I have been far too slow to change my mind on Evan Ingram based off his rookie year, he was a guy that I really liked coming out of college because he kind of fit that pass catching tight end role that we look for in fantasy. And, you know, there weren't many in the league slash still aren't that many in the league that can do that. So you get caught in this idea of like, oh, he could be the next fill in the blank, Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, whatever. Anthony and he came out and he was Anthony Ferkser. Thank you very much. (laughs) Bob Tunyon. Uh, He came out and finished a top five fantasy tight end as a rookie. And so you say to yourself, like, man, this never happens. Like he has to be the next big thing. And then I got stuck on that because I liked him coming out of college. I liked obviously what he did as a rookie. I had a ton of him in dynasty leagues. So I was like, I'm locked in. Like I'm good at tight end for the next three, four, five, six years. Like I got my guy. And clearly that is probably not the case. I think we need to kind of figure out what his new normal is as far as what we can expect because yeah he dealt with injuries but we also know he has some upside but at the same time the quarterback is changing and here comes Kenny Galladay and oh by the way Saquon Barkley is still there so like I think we just kind of need to take a step back or I need to at least and this is probably a year late but like recognize maybe he's not a top five fantasy tight end maybe he's a tight end 10 maybe he's a tight end 12 maybe that's just what I need to expect but I feel like he's been a guy I've been pretty slow to come around on because when you get those you know early success stories you think that that's just what's going to happen moving forward and clearly that's not the case I rolled the dice last year with Evan Ingram in like the I don't know eighth round or something in my home league and my thought was okay well maybe he can just be a PPR guy and I kept starting him because he kept getting the targets and 
it was so frustrating. I remember eventually posting on, on Twitter that gif of just someone being kicked in the nuts like over and over and over again. I said, that's how I feel every week just putting Evan Ingram in my starting lineup. And I, <laughs> I actually remember that. <laughs> I, I was too too slow. I mean, it took me like seven weeks to like get off. I'm like, no, this is the week. He's getting eight targets, you know, and it just didn't matter. Like I have the stats somewhere, but it's like over the last 20 years, that's like the worst yards per target season, like of any tight end, like over a hundred targets. Like it was like abnormally really bad last year for Evan Ingram. Um, I'm going to mention a player that I've talked about before bets, but when DJ chart came to the league, I said, why the heck did they pick him in the second round? Like I thought that was just an easy bus pick. And then he did nothing his first year. And so I had some confirmation bias that was like, okay, well that was clearly a bust. I was right. And then the second year he breaks out and I was so slow. I was just like, this isn't real. This isn't happening. And he was a super fun player in 2019. So then what did I do bets? You were in. I was in for 2020. And what did he do last year? Not a lot. He was bad. He was really bad. He sunk a lot of teams as like a fourth round, fifth round pick. And so what I've learned, though, is that I actually did the digging and now I've changed again. So I've actually changed three times on this player. And that's actually OK, I, which is crazy to think I was out. Now I'm in. Now I'm out again. And I wrote a whole piece of five reasons why I won't be playing him in any format other than DFS. We'll play him. Um, so just be okay. It's okay to change your mind about certain players. I mean, there are going to be certain players that I'm always going to love Keenan Allen. I'm always going to love Julio Jones, but I'm also able to say, you know what? It's okay. Um, I can actually figure out a way to change my opinion and the outcomes. So, all right, let's give one more and then let's project a team bets. The thing we have to learn with forecasting is you can't give hardline dogmatic statements of this guy can never be this or he is only this because there is a spectrum for each player. Like, I don't know if you remember, but there was a year where DeAndre Hopkins finished outside the top 30 at wide receiver. He had a ton of volume. I do. I recall. I recall drafting him the next season in the seventh round of my my work league seventh round so here for DeAndre Hopkins unreal here's why I was wrong that year I predicted that he was going to bust so I felt super smart two years later I said ah he'll bust again and he was wide receiver one so um don't get too cocky um but basically we just need to understand you need kind of this spectrum of perspectives and there's some books Bets and I read one where they talk about hedgehogs and foxes and basically Hedgehogs only understand one big idea and foxes are able to kind of aggregate a bunch of perspectives. And so you might think, okay, maybe I need to be one or the other. And the main point is actually not to pick, it's to be able to be both. Like you and I have some big ideas. You know, one of your big ideas is like you understand injury analysis way better than anyone else. That's a big idea you're always going to carry with you. But I think also, Bets, what you've done is said, okay, I don't just need that perspective. I need to hang out with the spreadsheet bros. You know, I need to. Absolutely. I need to hang out with those really cool people. Like I, me, I need to hang out with rock band people. <laughs> Perfect example. <laughs> so it's about aggregating perspectives. And so honestly, I would prefer to be a fox, but there are lots of big ideas that hedgehogs in terms of forecasting are able to say, you know what? I grasp this big idea and I still want to use it. So um, is there any statements that you've grown on as like a forecaster that you said, okay, I've learned this over time. This wasn't my natural inclination. 
Yeah, there are far too many really smart people out there who have been studying the NFL for a long time, specifically the analytics side of things and the team uh, play call tendency side of things, which I find really interesting because rewind a few years ago. And I remember being so dialed into the fact that there's no way we're ever going to see Russell Wilson throw the football. Not a chance, right? It was Marshawn Lynch. It was the Legion of Boom. It was that's the offense. It was Pete Carroll and his white new balances. That's what they did. So if you ever tried to buy into a wide receiver, a.k.a. Doug Baldwin, I was like, ah, I, there's no way that Russ will ever you know, become this elite quarterback in fantasy because he just doesn't throw the ball enough and the receivers aren't good enough to get him there. And then all of a sudden we saw this huge switch. You look at like 2018, right? 32nd in pass rate, dead last. 2019, same thing. They're kind of towards the bottom, 27th. Then out of nowhere last season, we called for it, right? Everyone was like, this is the year, let Russ cook. They skyrocketed up in terms of pass rate. And, you know, clearly if you were on Russell Wilson stacks and DK Metcalf and Todd Lockett, it really benefited you. So I think for me, I've just kind of been more willing to understand that that is something that will change every couple of years or every really year to year. So just for example, we'll talk about this team, I think in a minute, but like just assuming that because Lamar Jackson and the Ravens have always been so, so, so run heavy that they're going to be 32nd in the league and pass rate again. Maybe not. Maybe they jump to 25th or 20th. And then all of a sudden you have a, a big spike in value for, you know, uh, Mark Andrews, Rashad Bateman, et cetera. So I think that's one that I've been willing to kind of change on and adapt to for sure over time. Yeah, it just it matters when you're looking at a team to not make these statements. I know the one that happened a couple of years ago was Cam Newton does not throw to the running back position. And that was true. That was true up into that time. He had never had someone like Christian McCaffrey. And so if you looked at his pass rate and their running back market share, it was super low. Guess what? He got Christian McCaffrey and that changed completely where he was like top five in the league in terms of throwing to the running back position. Now, there are other quarterbacks that I could say that same statement, like Deshaun Watson has never thrown to the running back very much. It's actually very sad because um, I wanted Duke Johnson to be a thing or it's just never been part of it. Lamar Jackson's actually been the same thing. It's such a low volume passing offense that he hasn't really thrown to the running back position. It doesn't mean it can't happen or that he never will. It's just that the offense hasn't emphasized it and rushing quarterbacks tend to not throw as much uh, to their running backs as they take off. But that doesn't mean that it can't ever happen. So just looking at that, um, being able to say that, I also, I did a lot of research a couple years ago on vacated targets and when a team has vacated targets, it usually means the running backs have a bump in their target share. And that's generally been true. Like that helped me identify Leonard Fournette, a player that did not catch the ball at all, to have like 90 something targets that year. And that was, I was on that. But it does not mean that every team will do that. So the Ravens have been one of these teams with huge vacated target numbers bets every single year. And Lamar Jackson says, nah. I don't want to throw to the running back. So <laughs> it's more saying, yep. hey, this is this is true, but it's not always true. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay looking at that. I, I feel like the Titans are one of those teams because they have a lot of vacated targets. John who's gone. Uh, Corey Davis is gone. Uh, so like, okay, well, that means that they're going to throw to the running back. Like, I don't know. They've never thrown to the running back at all. Like not Derrick Henry, not Deion Lewis really. I don't know. Maybe it's Ferk Daddy time. <laughs> or this guy named Julio Jones, but yeah, sure. Okay, Julio Jones, <laughs> I'll go with that. Fun fact, though. Did you know the Titans 
had the third most combined tight end points in the league last year. I did not know that. It, that is a really fun fact. Yeah, Johnny and Ferk Daddy and Michael Pruitt just went went to town. So um, I'm kind of rising on the Ferk Daddy, and I'm glad he's gotten at least three shout outs uh, in this show. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's hanging on. All right, let's project. A, I love it. Let's project a team and talk about how we do that, and then we will go in depth, and then you and I will also hit some mailback questions. So I love talking about this stuff. You and I both love talking about team projections and whatnot, but. Let's talk about how we projected team bets. So you and I, we don't have the same exact methods. It's not like, you know, we're doing the same spreadsheets or whatever. But on a team level, what do you look at first? Before you go into player evaluations, what do you look at for a team in terms of like, here's how I project them? The first place I go is just kind of looking at Vegas lines. That's what I've kind of used for the last couple of years to be able to identify, you know, the market these people that are super smart, the actual spreadsheet bros think that, you know, this team is going to be good. They have a 12 and a half or an 11 and a half or a 10 and a half win total. So off the bat, you sort of have a prior of like, I think this is going to be a great team. Clearly you're looking at a win total of four or four and a half for the Texans. People do not think they're going to be a good team. So that's where I start with like, okay, that's what the, you know, the market expects. That's what Vegas expects. Therefore I'm going to take a somewhat similar approach in terms of how I value how the team is going to perform on an NFL level. And then from there kind of dive off into how is that going to come? Are they going to dominate on defense and run the ball? Do they have a quarterback who's been successful all his career? And that's why, you know, the team is good. For example, Tom Brady, everywhere he goes. Um, So that's kind of where I start. And then I go from there. What about you? Yeah. So Betts and I did a bunch of podcasts towards the beginning uh, in April about win totals. And we did as May as well. But win totals matter so much. Like usually in fantasy, we're like, I don't care if the team wins, just give me fantasy points. But in terms of projections, it really does matter how the team functions. There's outliers every year. Like James Robinson is just, it's so out there that a team would win one game and have a top 10 running back. Like that's just really rare. And for him to see 85% of the opportunities. But we start with win totals. Vegas, don't try to outsmart them. You won't. You will, I mean, ask the pros that you're not going to outsmart them. So stay in that range. You can like a team a little less, but they set the lines for a reason. And Betts and I do this all the time. When we bring out win totals, we always have a pause because I think you and I see the case for the over and the under. I mean, there's, there's ones that we really like and we've said, go for this, but like they set the lines for a reason. So just know that the lines aren't there to like trick you. They're just there for the start of our projection. And so the 49ers are a team that you've talked about a lot, Bets, because their schedule, like their schedule is super easy. They're playing a fourth place schedule because last year they were all hurt and now they're projected for 10 and a half wins. So how does that affect how you see the Niners? I think it's a a piece of the puzzle. It's not the only piece, but this is not a fourth place team on paper. And that's why I'm so excited about them, right? Like if this was, who was bad last year? The Jaguars, obviously. If this was the Jaguars and they had a a cake schedule, I would not be feeling the same way as I do about the Niners who have a good offensive line, have dynamic playmakers, added a top three rookie quarterback, have great, you know, players on defense, like a great coaching staff and scheme. Like it all makes sense. And last year they just had horrible luck. Like literally every week, I I feel so bad for 49ers fans and their fan base, like just every week a major injury was happening. So 
this team on paper, assuming that they can kind of come back to be uh, a team that just played in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs not that long ago with this easy of a, of a schedule is a small piece of the component. But really, it's because I trust the offense. I trust the team. They've got great playmakers, etc. So it is a, a nice kind of cherry on top, so to speak, in terms of how we project this team to perform this year. And then you and I look at the play calling and the coaching tendencies every week for DFS. This is what you and I go really in depth with. I write a pace of play. You write a Vegas article and you know, we just care about these rates. We care about their neutral situations. Do you want to explain to people like why those kind of rates and pace matter so much? Yeah, sure. So basically the idea is teams will operate their offense in a different way based off what the game environment is. For example, if a team is trailing by three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, it makes all the sense in the world that they're going to play a lot faster to try to catch up. They're going to throw the ball a lot more to create big plays, etc. So that kind of skews the overall data. If you look at, oh, well, this team passed at this percentage this year and last year they were at this you know, percentage. Or you look at you know their total pace of play on an entire game or an entire season, it will change. So what we like to use is neutral pace of play or neutral um, play selection, basically, which tells us that when the game is within one score, Here's what the offense actually wants to do. This is what they're trying to go out, and this is their game plan. When the game is close, here's what we're going to do. If the game stays close, we will keep doing this. But if the game gets out of hand, we might have to change, so to speak. So that really tells us what they're trying to do. And then I think from there, you can kind of branch off based off the Vegas spread or based off of what you project the game environment to be of like, listen, I know Dallas likes to throw the ball a ton when they're in neutral pace. But what if they get up and they get a huge lead against, I don't know, who's an awful team? the Houston Texans the Eagles <laughs> then we could probably or the Eagles we could probably project them to not have to be that up pace in the fourth quarter so maybe it lowers the rates for players like Dak etc so I think that's a, a specific example of how we use that metric and in season we talk about pace of play as I mentioned pace can be a little deceiving because you look at some teams that are slow like the Packers were slow last year why because they were ridiculously efficient they would basically score and run up the score or at least like put up enough points where they could slow it down later. So uh, it's not a perfect metric, but it does show us like which teams, like the Chargers were one of those teams. It was like, okay, they're going to be up in pace. The, the Falcons, uh, the Bengals, you know, they had to pass like because they were behind. So those are the things that we really care about. So strength of schedule, Vegas implied totals. Uh, we'll talk about that even more. Yeah, we'll have a whole week where we talk about Vegas and um, not necessarily how to beat ba Vegas, but how to use it to your advantage. And then that's when you and I move to player evaluation. So when we look at this team, we look at their schedule, we look at like their play calling tendencies, um, but then we go to actual player evaluations. We start with, hey, this team we project they could in their medium, you know, projection have this many plays per game. And then their low end, we could see this. So we kind of take those projections and then we go to players. And the important thing about players is all we have is the past as our information. And Jason always says this, that past, you know, past success is a good indicator of future success, but it's not perfect. Like just because James Robinson finishes a top 10 running back doesn't mean this will then happen this way, obviously. And so it's really important to name when you're looking at players, like your priors, like what I bring into this with these players. So one of the players that I've had to change on is Miles Gaskin running back for the Dolphins because I just kind of been out on Gaskin for the most part this off season. Like he was kind of hyped up for a little bit 
And mostly right after the draft, people were like, oh, they didn't add anyone really. And I just was kind of off. He's been actually sliding in ADP where I've gotten him in a couple of best ball drafts because I see what could happen with that offense. I see that he led all running backs in yards per reception and he was targeted a ton. Like that's what I want for my running backs. And although he's a former seventh round draft pick, like Miles Gaskin showed last year that when he was on the field, they wanted to use him. So that's what I know about Miles Gaskin. I don't take that and say this will happen, but I do think it's a possibility. And so it's maybe move him up a little bit saying, okay, well, I shouldn't just like trash this guy. He could actually be good. Um, and I, I've kind of warming up a little bit. So anything you want to say about priors? No, I think that's a good call in terms of like also using your priors with ADP. Like I have been extremely vocal that I'm not touching Mike Davis in, gosh, sometimes he goes in the third and crazy drafts where you're like, what are you doing? Or the fourth, I'm not doing it. Like there's just too much downside at that cost. But there is a scenario where he is the dude and we saw him last year with the workload be effective. If they don't give the football to anyone else in the backfield, we have a James Robinson season. Maybe he gets 80% of the workload. It's in the range of outcomes. If he falls to like the sixth round, like, I'm willing to take the risk that that is a possibility. Now, do I think he falls that far? Not really. But I think that that is kind of what I'm saying is that there's an opportunity cost associated with all of your priors that, you know, people for, I feel like years and years just always go into a draft and they're like, I'm never, ever, ever drafting player X, not no matter what. And then all of a sudden, Will Fuller staring you in the face in the seventh round and people are like, nope, not doing it, not doing it. And they're not willing to accept the fact that there is a possibility that he could have a top 10 season with Deshaun Watson, which we basically saw last year. So that's another great example, I think, of trying to have your priors be um, checked at the draft table and then going off of ADP, basically. Check your priors at the draft, your Terrell priors. Um, I'm going to mention one more player that I think everybody was wrong on last year, and that was Stefan Diggs. Although I will say our own Casey Kasem, one of our writers, she's awesome. She was dead on. She was all about Stefan Diggs last year. Stefan Diggs was a six round pick last year, Bets. Like we all deserve Unreal. a massive spanking, a collective spanking as a group for what we did to this man. And it was because we said, we know what this Buffalo offense is. They're a low passing volume offense. They are an offense that, you know, Josh Allen's never going to be able to have a high completion percentage. He's like, those are the dogmatic statements we made. And I didn't have much of Diggs at all last year. Um, I have him in dynasty. That is one place I did have a Diggs and Allen stack in dynasty. And I rode that to a second place finish. But um, Diggs, Diggs is one of those players that we all collectively said. So if you see the market say collectively, this player will do that. Just check yourself. So one of those players for me this year is Darren Waller. And I've kind of checked myself because everyone's collectively said he's a second round pick because he's the only guy there and he's going to see all the volume. And he definitely could. That's probably a very likely outcome. But it scares me a little bit when you have a player that high up um, that, you know. And so I actually have Kittle as my two and I'm getting Kittle a little bit later than Waller. Yeah, it's a great example as well. I think that's another scenario too. Like, And you kind of look like year over year to ADP, like you know, there's players every year that jump up a couple of rounds, rightfully so, based off of how the team changes, opportunity changes, etc. But I feel like with Waller, like last year, it was sort of the same setup. 
And people weren't willing to accept that that's who he was. But now, like you're saying, people are assuming that this is who he is no matter what. And spending a second round pick on any player, really, you have to question, like, is this worth it? And I just wrote up an article on the site about why J.K. Dobbins should not be going in round two of PPR leagues. Uh, it is silly. I like there is definitely ranges of outcomes for all these players. And you have to be willing in the early rounds to be like, is this fact or is this like, is there a chance that this is wrong? And we see it every year with Waller last year. He was in that middle tight end group. And so I think I had said like, oh, we don't we don't need to draft middle tight ends. They're not good. And so he was like, what, round six? Uh, seven yeah i think that was his final adp yep six and and now like obviously round two is is too high for me so i don't really have waller anywhere other than that dynasty team so watch out um let's go through <laughs> second place finish here we go place. um borgononi's jabronis is that team name <laughs> co-owned co-managed with my brother um okay let's really quickly go through a team bets and just identify a couple things we don't have to go through all of it um, and then we'll get into the mailbag, but the Rams. All right. So let's take the Rams and quickly go through. You list their win totals, their team totals and their play calling. And then we'll just name a couple of things. Yeah. So their current win total on DK Sportsbook is 10 and a half wins on the season long average. Right now you can look at lines for every single week of the NFL season, which I think is uh, craziness, but they have an implied team total on average of 25.6, pretty good for their offense. Uh, and then as looking at their strength of schedule, according to Warren Sharp, using those Vegas win totals, they're at 18th. So kind of middle of the road in terms of how difficult their schedule is going to be this year. Yeah, and with implied team totals, that's something we talk about every week when we talk about the matchups. That's basically saying when you look at the Vegas total, you know, if it's 50, then the Rams are at 25.6 maybe. And you know, they're just a, a slight point favorite over their opponents. So it's basically telling you this is how many points each week they think the Rams on average are going to score, which is pretty good. And then for play calling, the crazy thing about the Rams is that Sean McVay really does change his setup. Like last year, I think he got to the point where he's like, I don't trust golf. We're going to run the ball with acres down the stretch. And that's what they did in the playoffs. They basically like hid golf and said, don't lose it for us. Where a year ago or the year before, you know, remember that Rams Chiefs game is like, just do whatever you want golf. And um, I think their offensive line is really good. It was good last year. It's also aging. So it might take a step back. But um, with Stafford, how does that change your outlook on this team going from golf? Because we can't just use those stats now. You know, that's like the hardest thing. It can't just be like, here's what he did. But now they have Stafford. So does that change your opinion? Yeah, absolutely it does. And I think a lot of people are in agreement on this, that there's a lot more upside in this scenario with Stafford because of what we've seen him do as far as elevating players around him, like Kenny Galladay, like our boy Marv, for example. And you know he has way more experience playing in a high-octane uh, offense. You know, Daryl Bevel in Detroit was a guy that let him push the ball down the field. And then we sort of just saw last year, like, what happened to the Rams passing game? Like all of a sudden Jared Goff's dinking and dunking and there's like no creativity. And like you said, it looked like they just tried to hide him. But looking back in terms of like what they were in terms of pass rate, you know, like this team has been top 10 three years in a row. That's what they want to do. Maybe now we see more efficiency from the wide receivers in the past, you know, game in general, because I think Matthew Stafford, Stafford just objectively and probably the eye test too we could all agree is a little more upside than jared goff so if they can kind of unleash the offense take the training wheels off so to speak like we saw with goff when he was 
uh, in his first couple seasons in LA, man, I think it's, there's a lot to be excited about with the passing attack here for the Rams. I know you're excited about Cooper Cup. You've mentioned him a couple of times. He's right there at that 4-5 turn. So I like Cup actually better than Woods at this point in terms of like you can get him, you know, seven, eight picks later. So I'm for that. You and I have talked up Tyler Higby um, as someone that we wouldn't mind in best balls, a tight end one. I think he's going to be fun in DFS because he's kind of volatile. So that's kind of interesting. I, I'm also curious, like, will we hear from the wide receiver three on this team? Because it's like, it's Van Jefferson, but they have Deshaun Jackson. They used a second round draft pick on Tutu Atwell. So do you expect more three wide receiver sets like they used to do? Like when they used to lead the league in this thing, that, I mean, that was their game plan. But now it's like Higby and, you know, some rookies at tight end. So like, do you think they're going to go with three wide receivers? And if they do, is there value there? I think they actually will. I think they're at least going to try. Now, Deshaun Jackson, what can you project him for for games, right? Like you can't project him for 17. Maybe Kyle's putting one, one. finger in the air. One one game. Uh, I'll put it at like four. Um but, you know, let's say Deshaun Jackson, for some reason, stays healthy the entire season. Like, maybe that's what they try to actually do. Have him run out wide, put Cooper Cup in the slot, move Robert Woods around. Like, maybe that's what they actually want to do. But we may not get to see what they want to do if he doesn't stay healthy. And if Van Jefferson doesn't take us up for like we're expecting, it, you know, the offensive scheme, their hand might be forced based off of the player availability. So I think that that's what they want to do. I think that's what Sean McVay wants to do. We'll just see if they'll be able to effectively do it. Uh, I think they will, so hopefully. It's also important that when you're looking at a team, like you and I are giving player evaluations. Like we like Cooper Cup. We like Cam Akers. I don't love the ADP, but um, I like Cam Akers. If you can get in the second round, I love it. But you also need to keep in context, like all of these players are not just playing in a vacuum. Like Cooper Cup, is going around other wide receivers in drafts. Cooper Cup, we have to compare him to other wide receivers. So it's not just like, I like Cooper Cup. We're going to get him no matter what. He's our guy. He's going to be awesome. Like in best ball, you get to realize like, I love this player. All right. I might not get him. Actually, chances are you won't get that player because there's 11 other drafters with you. So it's being willing to look at a team and realize Matthew Stafford's good in redraft leagues. Top 10, sure, but like I don't see the upside of top five um, with him because he doesn't really run the ball. So I'm not like trying to be so bullish that Matthew Stafford will be this awesome player. And even if someone does say something like Matthew Stafford's going to be a quarterback one this year, whoop-de-doo, like it, that doesn't actually help. It doesn't actually change me that much in terms of like my forecasting because so many guys are within that QB1 range in terms of projecting. Let's say Matthew Stafford finishes at quarterback 12. Like the guys that finish at 13, 14, 15 are going to be just as valuable. They're going to be only a couple points behind. So you need to keep that in mind. Like Betts mentioned earlier with total fantasy points. Anything else you want to say about these Rams? I don't think so. I think we hit it all. We'll do some more projecting uh, team specific as we get closer, but let's finish up with a special mailbag drop. Mailbag. Mailbag. Woo. A little bit loud. A little bit louder, right? A little bit. I think a lot of it. All right. So, you know, I've been practicing a mailbag drop every once in a while when I'm driving home, if I'm listening to the show. And 
I just don't know if my voice can totally do it. So I found a older live show where the crowd did the mailbag drop. So this is like the people bets. The people are a part of the mailbag. I love it. And that's that's what we did. We had, we reached out to the people, said we need your questions. Let's answer them. So first question here from Brandon Brown at Brown NCSU. Brandon Brown. He said, I have never done DFS first timer. Dude, I'm glad you got to admit that because some people want to just say, I know everything. It's like, no, start somewhere. He says, I'm curious to know, in order to find those hidden gems in DFS, what kind of stats are you looking for that are good predictors for projections? Is it opportunity, defense, vacated targets? What are the what are the kind of stats that you and I look at each week bets? And we can just kind of list those. And we, we have articles about these too. Yeah, I think the, the answer here, Brandon, is like, you know, the answer to your question is yes to all of these. It's a complex one week type of season, right? We're trying to project what happens in one week. So we talked about Vegas totals on the season and how they're so important for win totals. There are games that are listed with a yeah, 44 point total. And you're like, eh, it could turn into a shootout. Maybe not. But then there's like four or five, you know, games that have a 48, 49, 50, sometimes even more point total that you're like, okay, this looks like a great environment for a shootout. Like there's a lot of points scored. You want that. Then you kind of look at, okay, now this matchup, what's the defense like? Are they giving up a ton to wide receivers? Okay, great. Let's hit the wide receivers. Um, is every single person in DFS on the same player? And is there a range of outcomes where that player could fail? And maybe you want to get off that player. So it's that. And then plus, by the way, these guys over at DraftKings and FanDuel, like they're setting the salary of how valuable they think these players are in a given week. And so that comes into a huge consideration because obviously, if we didn't have salary, we would play all the best plays all the time. So it's a really complex situation that I think the DFS pass does a great job of setting you up for success because we have so many tools in there to help you uh, sift through all that information. Yeah, we just need to play the good players bets. That's, that's what that's I've been the, doing wrong this advice, whole time, right? man. I'm, not, I'm playing the wrong players. <laughs> I just got to play the good ones. It, it really is because it's all about sal- like salaries matter so much because at certain points, players are going to be played more. We talk about our roster percentage projections of where we think players, and we're going to try to add that this year to DFS Pass where Bets and I get to say, all right, here's the range for this player in terms of they're going to be rostered on 20% of rosters. And that changes. Like Players can be at the exact same salary, but if someone's at 20% or 5%, if you're playing a big tournament, like the 5% really does matter. And I wrote in here, it just depends on what kind of stress you want. Like a cash... Stress is different than a GPP stress. And we'll talk about that more, the different mindsets as we get closer. But let's go to this next question. Long time listener at Matthew Menninger. He says, this is a best ball question, Bets. When you stack your first quarterback for drafting your second one, do you shoot for another stack or the highest upside QB2? For example, if I had Russ and DK Metcalf, would my quarterback two, would I do Darnold or go for Tua or Baker? So there has been correlation that shows people that are stacking both their quarterbacks have higher win rates than those that stack just one of their quarterbacks with the caveat of ADP matters, right? So like I posted in my article on the site, the biggest mistakes that I'm seeing in basketball drafts and how to avoid them. Like this person took, I think it was Lamar or Kyler, one of the running quarterbacks. And then they had a Rams wide receiver in like the fourth, fifth round. I can't remember if it was Robert Woods or Cooper Cup. I think it was Woods. And then that person came up and took Matthew Stafford in like the sixth round or something, which clearly his ADP is not that. So in that scenario, 
that is not a winning strategy because you're just sacrificing so much in ADP, but you fit the rules of like, well, I'm stacking, so it has to be good. So I think the the best example of this is like, if a quarterback is falling and falling and falling because no one has his wide receivers that wants to complete a stack, he could be a value. Today, I got Kirk Cousins in the 16th round as my quarterback too with Lamar. I have no Vikings pass catchers, but I know Kirk Cousins is better than a 16th round best ball quarterback. So I took him because it didn't have the stack, but the values there. So you really can create leverage on the field and your opponents understanding how valuable ADP is. Yeah, you definitely want to stack if you can, like you said. You said Darnold, Tua, or Baker, and there's obviously different draft costs. I mean, the correct answer is the GOAT, right? Am I right? Oh, absolutely. Sam Darnold. Yes. Sam Darnold. <laughs> Best quarterback of all time. I like I like Darnold because you can get him in like 16th, 17th, and I like the cheaper Panthers options, um, and I have a couple of those. But yeah, with Russ, just realize this. Your first quarterback, you are basically saying, I'm going to take Russ's score out of 17 weeks. Like you're hoping for at least like, 11 or 12 of those weeks to be Russ at least. And and then there's the buy that doesn't matter. So like you're only hoping for three or four weeks from the other guy. So um, high upside definitely matters, but it just matters who you're stacking them with. All right. Next one's from Todd Zilla one, one or one, three, three, seven. How much stock do you guys put in team defense and team schedules versus um, other metrics? So for instance, the Bengals, We've talked about them a lot in their volume, but he mentioned that they have a pretty tough schedule. It's obviously a tough division, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Baltimore. Um, what percentage of that do you factor into projections and forecasting? To be honest, not a ton. I think it is a very, very small piece of this overall uh, you know, puzzle you're trying to put together. Like defenses just change year to year. You know, every year we enter our fantasy drafts and you look for like who is going to be the defense one in fantasy that I take in the ninth round or tenth round. And you get it wrong. You get it wrong a lot. Like defenses just evolve over time. Injuries happen, things change. Last year on paper, the Niners were supposed to be an amazing defense. And they were like one of the worst, like high shootouts every week in DFS was fun. And of course, if you were playing against them in season long, you were starting players like there's just situations that change so much. So for me, I think it is a piece of the equation for sure, because again, it's part of what you're forecasting. But if it's a situation where I like a different player who has maybe a tougher schedule, quote unquote, I'm taking that player. You know, I'm taking that player because of their situation or the quarterback play or whatever. I think this is a very small piece of the pie. We purposely don't mention on the Fantasy Footballers podcast fantasy points allowed until about week seven or eight. Like, we actually don't put the charts in our documents when we do matchups because it just it you don't know that much at the beginning of the season. So defensive metrics and who the best teams are don't really take shape and we don't see trends, right? Like, oh, okay, well this team sucks against the tight end. Like you can't just take that. Uh, you can't take last year. And you mentioned it, bets like year over year fantasy defenses uh don't perform. Like I don't think we've had a top defense repeat in like 12 years. So you mentioned the Niners. They were the number one drafted defense last year. Do you remember who finished number one last year for fantasy defenses bets? I have no clue. It was the Colts who wow. were draft, drafted at 11th. The Dolphins were five. I don't know anyone that talked about the Dolphins defense before the year. Uh, Washington's defense, like they were a juggernaut at the end. Bets, they were drafted outside the top 20 in leagues. Yep. 
So it just that's, year that's over the stigma. That's the preseason bias. People don't like sure. Washington, right? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Now, how do you not like Washington, dude? You got Terry McLaurin. <laughs> that's true. And also, just say this: the 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 example you gave was was Cincinnati. Um, it's a tough division. We're we're definitely saying that's one of the toughest divisions in terms of defense. AFC North battles; those teams all hate each other. Last year, Cincinnati, uh, they played Cleveland within a touchdown in both of their games. They actually beat Pittsburgh. They split the series. They got trounced. They suck against the Ravens, by the way, every year. They get <laughs> they get killed um, because I don't know if Zach Taylor's a good coach. But I just, yes, DFS, we get to talk about it because we get to zero on one matchup. But for forecast, it's not something that you and I look at a ton um, in terms of defense. All right, let's do a couple more and then we will wrap up because these are good. All right, this one's from Steve Hutchison at SK Stephen H. He said, how do you use initial season-long projections and transform them to weekly as the season progresses with new data on opponent defense coming to effect and having a clear? So kind of following up what we said before, but that's how do we take what, you know, right now is projecting for a whole season. And then when we get to week one, you and I are looking at just one week at a time. We're not looking at the whole season anymore. Yeah, I think looking at season-long projections are really important for kind of understanding what you expect to happen with a team, for example. You know, you are kind of looking like in August or July, I expect this team to be pretty good. You know, the Rams players, for example, we talked about them, like they're all high in ADP. Everyone's excited about Stafford. People are excited about Higby. Like we're all excited. So what I use it for is really to say like in early in the season, if there's a down week here or there, I'm not just giving up on the Rams because of one or two down weeks. If we were all excited about them, you know, just five weeks ago or four weeks ago when the season starts. So that's kind of how I use them as a way to kind of have, um, I guess, a prior about a team going into the season and then basing it off that and going from there. But because things change so much in the NFL every week with injuries and off the field stuff and, you know, play callers that change and et cetera, like some of that stuff won't matter come season's end. And we'll be talking about a completely different situation for a team, you know, week 16 as we are in week one or two. No, I love that point. You hit on the nail. Like you and I right now are looking at the range of outcomes for players. But then when we get in week to week, we got to recognize like there's volatility with wide receivers, man, like there's so much volatility. Every single wide receiver last year had at least one week where they finished outside of the top 50. I mean, think about that. Like that's killing your team in redraft. It's killing you in DFS, but it's going to happen. And so it's really important to look at each week and say, okay, I had this information beforehand. They could bounce back this week. You know, that's, that's like Joe Mixon was that example, like started off terrible last year. We still liked him. And then he had a couple of blow up games that we uh, really like. So it's looking at volatility and then also saying, we know there's guaranteed volume here. So Mixon was one of those players that you could just say, okay, I think he's going to break through. And then the other point I'll just say is each game is its own world. It's its own experiment. And you know, it's like such a small sample size that anything could really happen. Like this team could blow out the other team. The Jets beat the Browns last year. They beat the Rams, like the Jets. So we need to remember that kind of stuff. Shout out to Adam Gase. The, did you see uh, the news with him today? <laughs> Was that real? Yeah, I think so. He got an offensive coordinator position. Yeah, at I high posted school. that in our Slack. <laughs> I think it's real. Yeah, if you missed it, he got an offensive coordinator position, apparently. I don't know if this is real. 
at a local high school. It was on the internet bets. It's definitely true. Oh, it's hundred um, percent fact. Let's do this last question. And this one comes in from a very, very special writer. Uh, feels like it's like a pen pal or uh, somebody that like sent it in, but it is Rob Waziak at Waz NFL. If that name sounds familiar, Rob wrote our DraftKings content last year and he's taken a step back this year, but Rob is an awesome guy. Um, he's helped a lot of people win money in DFS, but he has a, I think a fun question. He says, what, if any, has been the most challenging part of forecasting slash projecting with the additional week this year? Yeah. I mean, no one knows how teams are going to use players, namely the running back position. I feel like after, you know, week 14, 15, like, are they going to start to like ramp guys down if they're already in the playoffs? They already do that anyway in a 17 week season. So does it get worse in an 18, you know, week season? We just don't know. And then of course, I think we already talked about football just being so volatile in general that when you add more layers into it, an 18th week, it's going to be even more volatile. Like more injuries are going to happen, more coaching changes, more play caller changes, quarterback changes. Like there's going to be more change this year. And I think uh, getting less locked into a certain situation or take is going to be really important this year to be successful in DFS. Yeah, this year's an experiment. And I also remember next year, they're going to add another week, but then they're going to probably do two buys. So this year is kind of like, uh, let's stretch it and we'll see if the teams can make it. They really need two buy weeks to kind of even it out for different teams. Like it, it sucks that there's teams that get buys in like week five and six and then other teams that get a buy in week, uh, what? I think the Eagles have 14. Sounds correct, yeah. 13 like, or 14, something like that. that that's crazy. So uh, running backs is the main thing that has changed the most for me. And they seem even more fragile. Jason's brought this stat up, but only two running backs last year in the top 20 played in all 16 games. Two. So it's really hard for me. I, I project as if players are going to play all their games. But I also, in the back of my mind, go like, wink, they are definitely not playing all of these games. So that has affected me a little bit for best ball bets. Like, I don't know how that's going to work for week 17. No one does because we're not there yet. Uh, so week 17, do you think that there will be players that take off? Like, I know that for week 18, we kind of bank that in and that's what we do for the fantasy season. But I don't know. Like, what do you think? Week 17? I mean, probably, right? Like, Injury rates are high in football already. You add another week, injury rates are going to be higher. So if someone has a little something going on in their knee or their hamstring or whatever, and you're not going to change your seeding from a five seed to a six seed or vice versa, like does it make sense for that player to sit? Maybe because they have more volume on their, their body, so to speak. So yeah, I honestly have no idea. That's kind of how I'm leaning when approaching this stuff. And I think it might open an opportunity. You know, the normal right now with everyone is like, Hammer RB early, hammer running backs early in best ball, no matter what. Like maybe this year, do a few zero running back drafts. Like see what happens because the market is just so locked in on early running backs. It's so volatile with another another week added in. Yeah, I used to for best ball. We've talked a lot about having fragile builds with only four running backs. I'm just leaning towards five. That's like my strategy right now to like shift just a little bit, just enough to say I'm going to get an extra running back in there. Because I'm getting teams with like Lamar, so I only need two quarterbacks, and teams with like Kittle, so I only need two tight ends. So at least gives me the opportunity to have five running backs and uh, and nine wide receivers and win the millie. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that's the strategy. That's that's uh, the strategy is to win the million. That is uh, 
that is the strategy. So really glad that you guys got to jump in with us, talk about forecasting. We'll get some more of this content out and do some more best balls in July. But that's any closing words for the people. I think that was a really intriguing show. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Let us know your thoughts. Hit us up on Twitter and we'll catch you guys next week. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.thefantasyfootballers.com.